This is the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast. I am your host, John Maddox. Welcome to the show. All right, Jeff Grant here on the show uh, from Sand and Sea Investments in real estate. How's it going? Really well. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. So you're uh, you're you're one of the top real estate you know firms in the in the in, well, I should say the country. Maybe it's the country, but I know from but San Diego. Um, and you've started you started in this in the business back in the crash, right? Right in the middle of the crash. I mean, impeccably bad timing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course, at or the good time. timing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you you got the hard part out of the way, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I remember when when I first started it, I was an active broker, as I still am. Um, and I thought, how am I going to compete with all of these talented, successful, well-known agents and brokers? And fortunately, that time there was such a change in our market with we'll just call it distressed. Mm-hmm. Um, that it presented, you know, a really neat opportunity, which John, I owe you a lot of credit for that. I owe you too, because man, I, who else was going to come in and do short yeah. sale? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the two H's in the name. I, I have to explain that to people still, you know, and the idea that at the beginning, no one wanted to talk about it. Well, it was a little bit embarrassing, right? It was a little they, embarrassing. They, they, to short sell their house, they didn't have any equity, they didn't have a, you know, way to, to get out from under their, their upside down mortgage, so... And then remember, by the time it was wrapping up, I mean, people were almost proud to say that I was smart enough to walk away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, it, it was a, it was a challenging start, but it came with big passion because I actually I lost one of my homes through short selling. Yeah. Uh, rather, Same it here. was saved. Yeah. yeah. And I realized how beneficial it was. And I realized how unscrupulous the collections were were going on behalf of the banks or the servicers so i really felt a passion for uh finding resolve and helping people and really that's where it all began that's right tell tell me or tell our listeners about your company now a little bit yeah so sand and sea investments we're uh i put us in the boutique category meaning we're not focused on agent recruitment Mm -hmm. as much as we are you know creating a culture and a group of professionals that truly want to help yeah um, you know, the word concierge gets lumped around way too often, but that really is kind of our approach. We want to be a resourceful expert and advisor yeah. that is not there to self-promote as much as we are to generate results, to protect yeah. our clients and to give them unique options. Yeah. So um, it's been a lot of fun. We have uh, an office in Carlsbad. We have an office in Point Loma. Geographically, we're all around the county. Uh, there are 10 agents. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm a pretty active uh, broker myself, not only as the broker of record, but I really enjoy it. And as time goes on, it's gotten more fun. Yeah. It's been now 12 years and we're having you know a lot of repeat business and meeting friends of friends. It's become very rich in experience and that organic growth. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, and the name, I mean, Sand and you know, see, it's, it's uh, an investment, right? So it's not just... Um, like like you said, it's more of like a concierge or like consulting, and you're talking to I'm sure people about you know when you say repeat business, you're talking to people about you know maybe buying more investment properties right and putting their money. As we know with inflation right now, it's like if you bought real estate, you made a hell of an investment this, totally. this last couple of years and even before. But um, tell us about that side, like the investment side. Is it is it, do a lot of your clients are they just buying investment properties too? Or yeah, no, I'm glad you brought up that word when I when I first brought that word into the company name, my intent was just kind of playing off the idea that people's biggest investments generally are their homes. Yep. 
true. And I read another stat. It was 70% of millionaires generated that money in, in real estate. Yep. So that was the idea. Of course, there's there's been countless times where people are asking, you know, what sort of investments do you do you gather or or present? And on that note, we have access to some pretty cool syndicated investments. Um, Is that more commercial? Yeah. Yeah. A lot more commercial. Residential. We'll do some fractional participation. It's mm-hmm. it's really nice because it obviously raises your price point when you have other people involved. True. Um, but the residential income is 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 good. Of course, in this market with prices where they are, really, it's very challenging to buy cash flow immediately. Right. Generally, you sit on the asset for a year, maybe two, raise rents, yep. pay the loan down. Um, but gosh, it's just been on the up and up and up. And yeah. considering what I went through 12 years ago, losing my own place, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous it's going to change, right? But yeah. the fundamentals are there. There's no reason to think it will. Yeah. I, interesting you say that because I, I often have people ask me, I'm just waiting or they, they, they'll ask me, uh, you know, is it going to, is it going to crash? Is it going to go down? And they're like, I'm just waiting for the next dip. And, and I'm just like scratching my head going, it should dip, but what's going to make a dip? Totally. What's like all the, the things culture? that are normally, you know, that would make a dip, like supply, right? Too much supply or, you know, obviously rates if they go up, but can they go up? How far can they go up? Because, you know, our national debt is insane. So, I mean, rates go way up it's gonna it's gonna crash our whole economy but i agree um yeah i mean do you have any thoughts on what you think could cause the next dip or crash yeah i think it'll be something a little more global yeah um i think i've been saying for a while that i I expected inflation to to increase and of course that's happening i'm a little concerned with that yeah um but i feel like putting all of the newspaper kind of observations aside that people are losing their jobs and there's this big contingent of the workforce that are quitting the the clients that I'm speaking with are doing very well yeah whatever there's a bigger divide I think than ever in America well maybe not ever but definitely in our generation yeah now so I I think because supply is just so much lower than demand right now and my average client seems to have a high affordability right um, I, I have no reason to think it's going to change. I think interest rates rising are, you know, is probably one of the top three if I had to to pick one. Um, but, you know, experiencing what we have with this whole COVID climate, it's just been so unpredictable now. Right. But looking at the basic stats in the residential market, looking at supply, mm-hmm. looking at the ratio of, of sell versus list price, and then looking at the average days on market, it has been a seller's market for so, so many years. Right. And the the potency and power of the buyers that I'm working for right now are higher and greater than it's ever been. Yeah. They're like, what do I do with my money? And totally. they're like, I got to buy assets. I got to buy totally. real estate. And I think also interest rates, if they go up and they will go up a little bit, you, you they have to at some point, half of the buyers are cash. So it won't even affect yeah. them. Agree. I totally agree. And I'm just amazed how many people have a lot of money right now. Yeah. I don't think it's going to much matter. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, rates will, will rise. Who knows how much. But, like, I think there's going to be a cap on that because of what I just said about the economy. And just, like, they're kind of stuck with a situation where they can't, they can't raise rates too much. Otherwise, it'll, it'll really be bad. Um, but before you go on, do you mind if I ask you, what yeah. do you think would be the culprit? If you had to pick something in the next couple of years that maybe <laughs> create a market correction. 
you know um supply change so um we're having you know supply chain issues right if there was a, um, a supply change chain meaning the demand drops some somehow and the only way I could see that is is all of a sudden people don't want to own if there's mm-hmm. a reason maybe government reason mm-hmm. or if there was a I hate to say it this is probably going to be controversial but if there was a lot of deaths mm-hmm. in the world in America like That's if it's just a huge amount of death uh, whether it's you know like another wave of, of a worse disease whether it's who knows what? I don't even want to say it because I don't want to jinx anything. But yeah. um, that could be that, you know. Um, but like we talked about, the main things that normally do that in an in economy are things that we don't think could happen yet. Really, like like yeah. the interest rates, the cash buyers, the supply. Like builders are literally not building. Yeah. Right? They're not. I mean, I yeah. have a, a friend. You know Kevin uh, mm-hmm. uh, Elmore. Um, he was on the podcast before. He's yeah. a smart guy. He's work, He's been working with a builder and and – you know, like a lot of foreigners are buying up land. Uh, as we know, Bill Gates has bought up a bunch of land. Yeah, um, you know, builders are having a hard time buying big pieces of land that they can develop. Obviously, the um, you know, there's a density change right now. And in, in, uh, I think they want to take like there's, there's, there's a change from R1 to R2, 3, 4, mm-hmm. you know, all that. And so what I think is going to happen is a lot of the, especially in the inner cities and the suburbs, like close to the cities, is there's just going to be, you know, people are going to tear down existing houses, build two, or mm-hmm. tear down, build four, build, you know, like you said, with the the building, like go up, higher, you know, higher buildings, more floors, yeah, um, condos, you know, and so, I don't know. And let me, what if they turned like some of the retail malls into living, you know, things, or yeah. like, you know, or, or office buildings into living spaces, like that could change the 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 dynamic of the supply. But it ha- I think that's where it'd have to be. It'd have to be a supply, a massive supply change in a fundamental way that we aren't really seeing, you know. Yeah, I, I like that. It's a really good point. It's interesting to balance the kind of migration from the high density areas, urban environments out to, you know, wanting bigger parcels. And I've experienced that firsthand the last couple of years. But now they're allowing those, those par- same parcels to be subdivided. And I'm anxious to see how it pans out. I remember when it first was announced, people got really excited about, yeah. I'm going to buy an R1, 5,000 square feet, turn it <laughs> into a quadplex. But I think by them requiring that one of the units is owner-occupied yeah. was is is really what's going to stop it from blowing up. Yeah, right? because they can't just turn it into a bunch of rentals. Right. Uh, you know, at least in the beginning, right? Yeah. And then... You know, you you live there, and then you can probably eventually switch. I don't I don't just know. Just keep rules your mail coming there and go somewhere else. Right? <laughs> people figure people figure stuff out. You know, that's the truth. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's 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 the billion dollar trillion dollar question is is what's going to be the next crash? What's going to be the next? I like what you said with global. I think there's a lot going on globally that you know we could talk probably a whole other podcast yeah. about globally what's happening. But um, but you know, I think. We see in San Diego, especially probably Southern California, people move, and you, I'd love to ask you about this, people moving from the Bay Area out mm-hmm. of, once people knew that they could go and work remote, they're like, heck, I could sell my 1,500 square foot house in the Bay Area and come buy a 3,000 square foot in San Diego, pay cash, and you're, and you're, you know, you're doing well. And so, you know, I've heard from other real estate agents that's happening a lot. You have cash buyers yeah. coming in from the tech tech industry and paying cash for houses and then, you know, in San Diego and Southern California and yes. there's a movement, right? There's a migration from yes. in LA too. Like a lot of people were a little upset about all the, you know, restaurants being closed when San Diego's were open or Orange Counties were open and there's like 
I'm going to move down here where it's a little more free. And I agree. And I have seen that. And it's fun to work for those clients because a million five to them is not a million, what it is to maybe somebody else here locally, yeah. right? Because they're coming from a more expensive climate and you nailed it. I mean, it's whether it's LA, San Francisco, Vancouver, I'm watching those people come here and they think everything's on sale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're like, oh, by the beach, I can get something for this. You're like, yeah. What? When it's everyone amazing. else is competing on a price, you know, yeah. they'll just come in and slap an extra 50 cash on top or whatever the number might be. Are you still seeing that uh, over, over asking like yeah. big, big jumpy jump numbers jump? A lot. Um, the, the strategies that we've had to employ to get our buyers in mm-hmm. on those deals uh, have been fun to kind of observe, create, develop. Uh, we've just gotten real creative with that. Um, but, you know, it's still a battle. Yeah. And if you have the listings, you know, they always say in residential real estate, if you have the listings, the buyers will come. Yeah. And it's more true than it's ever been right now. So right. the buyers that, that we're working with, we really more than ever make sure they're qualified and action ready. Right. Otherwise, you're just really spinning your wheels, wasting time. And you feel be bad. Frustrating. Yeah, be, I, I can't imagine being a real estate agent with a buyer that's like a veteran that yeah. has zero down or a... Yeah. You know, first time home buyer with three and a half percent down, like they're just not getting acceptance. Right? It's hard to compete, but with a good lender behind them, you know, it definitely helps us circumvent those yep. problems. Um, and I'm also amazed how much favor you can gain by just simply asking questions. Hmm. It might be, you know, seller motivations beyond just a price. Yeah. Um, it they want to know who's going to live in their house after maybe. Yeah. And they're just, yeah, it's interesting. Or they want the lease back. Right. Or uh, they want to sell it furnished hmm. um, or they want, you know, to remain in the house for a certain amount of time well beyond a lease back. Um, I've heard of agents buying cars. I've heard of uh, buyers <laughs> putting down the seller's deposit on their next really? home purchase. Wow. I haven't experienced it, but. Um, That's a first from anything I've, you know, I know the letters, right? Here's our family. Here's a photo of our family, right? Like, and, yeah. then, and then agents were like, no, you can't put a photo because what if there's like a, you know, a race issue or what, you know, there's all these. And then the next thing was, you know, was, was, uh, I mean, that was all I really knew. And that was back in like 05 that was happening. And mm-hmm. even, even, you know, I think a couple years ago, but to buy a car for someone and put a deposit, like that's some wild stuff. It is. Um, I think a good example, I'm thinking of my book of business. I helped some gentlemen that had moved from San Francisco down. They were willing to pay a million five for this home. It was mm-hmm. listed like a million three. And they incentivized the seller by offering them, it was about 25 grand. And they, instead of offering it to the seller, they offered it to the listing agent, exclusive. Really? Must be to the agent. And basically the agreement was if we offer this money to you, then we expect that you tell us at the last moment when all the other counter offers are due, what that final and best price is and we'll wow. match it. Wow. So sure enough, it came back, it was like a million four ten. And so they ended up saying, <laughs> What was the listing grand. price? Uh, it was about a million three, give or take. There was nine offers. Wow. And so I guess it's Instead just Instead of them of, offering one five Exactly. They they got the win-win, right? Yeah. The agent got yeah. extra money. And... I assure you they would have bought a car if they had to for him, but their, <laughs> their goals were met. Yeah. So it's been, it's been pretty fun to watch. That's, it's crazy thinking, you know, and rents are way up, right? Like, oh so you can't rent, especially coastal for, I mean, you definitely could pay a mortgage much cheaper than a rent, I think at this point. 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Not enough people are talking about rents. They are sky high right now. Yeah. Um, I have listed, I, I try to stay away from them, Yeah. to be honest, but um, I have a lot of clients that I care about and will definitely do that for them. And each rental I've posted this year, which has mainly been maybe four or five, um, we're getting way over market rent, way wow. over, all up front. You know, you have a pet, like they'll you're pay gone. the whole year. Yeah. Like, they'll just be like, all right, well, how about we just pay the whole year in rent? That's up it. Front. Wow. And a lot of it is school driven, right? Mm. We time them around when the school year starts. Um, but they yeah, want to be could, at a good school and yeah. zone and yeah, makes sense. When there's a lot of people that cashed out, right? I couldn't yeah. believe my house would be worth $2 million. I, I must sell and they do. And, and they're stuck. <laughs> they're stuck because there's only three or four rentals on the market in whatever neighborhood, and they end up bidding each other out, and it's it's crazy what we're seeing out there. But I'm thinking of two examples. One was in Rancho Santa Fe. I think we had it listed for six grand, which was lofty. Yeah. It was a townhome, um, and we had so many applicants that you know we were getting teary calls, just you know convicted, talking about their why they need this home. Uh, another one was in Carlsbad that was a big, nice house. And really, we were just trying to buy time by putting a tenant in place while my Canadian clients were trying to come down during the COVID climate. Um, and similarly, it rented for, I, I want to say, 30% above and people just begging for the home. Wow. So we're also undersupplied on rentals as well. Jeez, that's so what, what do you think is causing that? You know, Because it wasn't like that. Is, did, did all of a sudden bunch of people move here like what yeah i think it's people that are that are trying to recognize their gains that yeah. they've decided to sell they're trying to time the market right yeah and i don't know if you agree but i feel like i am and and many people i know are a bit calloused by what we went through yeah you know 10 12 years ago yeah and so we think it's got to happen again right and so we cash out and next thing you know you know you're leaving money on the table you're bleeding money in rent right um but i i do still have a lot of people that believe they should not own their primary residence you always rent your primary um, and then own other assets that are cash flow. So that's a big Grant Cardone thing. He He's super big on that, which yeah. I never really, and I think even Gary V uh, talked about that. And I always disagreed with that because I'm like, I've made so much money on my primaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've, you know, the, the money's going to, you know, who knows, it could go to a better investment or whatever. But I mean, in real estate, because of inflation and just the, the appreciation, it's, it's always made me my most most of my money was made because I, I bought my primary mm -hmm. lived in it and then, you know, maybe rented it out later and then, you know, bought another primary and, but, but I, I get why they say not to do that, but mm -hmm. I don't think, I think rents are so high that you're just burning money. I agree. I yeah. did that. I employed that idea until I got married. So the reason I wouldn't do it now is I don't want to uproot my kids. Right. Right. Like yeah. we have memories in our home and, I'd hate to think that, you know, our landlord calls and says, I'm sorry, I need you to move out in three months. Yep. Like, what would you do? So that's why I haven't. But um, yeah, it's something interesting. Plus, you can improve your home, right? Like, you can add yeah. stuff to it, put a pool in, do... But yeah. you're, you, I have a friend that, that just happened to where they just... They, the landlord just called and said, hey, we, you know, you got a month. And they're like, what do we do? And then they look around and the rents are so much higher. Yeah. And then, you know, buying a house is crazy and just... Wait. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's a it's interesting, you know, concept of you know the different different people who agree or disagree with that concept, you know. Yeah, it's been fun to watch. That's for sure, man. For sure. Um, what about foreign investors? You seen that? Not as much as I used to. Now, I my my good buddy who's in the the luxury space, he's mm -hmm. seeing a lot of it. Okay. 
Um, but no, nothing, nothing beyond Canada, really. You know. Yeah, the Canadians are like, get me out of this, this <laughs> totalitarianism. I mean, I don't know if you've watched what's going on in Canada, but like, I'm glad we're in America. I've been reading a little bit about it, yeah. um, but my clients who are from there have been telling me a little bit as well. So yeah. yeah, we're we're lucky to be dealing with it. It was funny though during COVID, John, when we closed this transaction, they bought it sight unseen, this beautiful home in Carlsbad, mm-hmm. and they couldn't come here to sign escrow docs, right? And nor could the notary go back and forth. But there's this little little bridge of some kind. I forget where it is, and I probably should have looked it up. On the but, border. Uh, yeah, yeah, right on the border it's like they they can't it's it's somehow they can't really neutral. cross it but it's like a neutral zone that's it it's like a neutral zone huh. that's it it's like a 50 yard circle of a park and so we had the notary go take care of the docks <laughs> it was awesome and then that's uh cool. and then of course they we bought the house those are the ones we put the tenants in and they finally came down at the end of of last year to enjoy the house on their own so wow yeah it's been it's been fun yeah i, I uh we go down to mexico when we go to vacation and um the, the a lot of the Mexican nationals there are like there's no Canadians they just can't leave they can't go they can't fly out of Canada to go to Mexico and Cabo or wherever right yeah and so um, I just was like wow that's just you know I I would not want a president tell me I can't leave the country to go somewhere yeah, yeah. and these clients that that I'm speaking of have the resources to fly you know or or take their boat wherever they would like and they were still pinched as well and they yeah. They felt that, that the yeah. control had been taken from them and a lot of frustration as a result. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, I get you want to be you know safe and all that, but it's like, wow. Um, so what about people leaving San Diego, California? You getting any listings of people saying, I'm out of here, I'm going to Texas, I'm going to Florida, I'm going to Tennessee or Idaho, wherever. Yeah, Arizona even. Of course, yeah. that now is just blown up. Um, the ones, the clients that I have that are doing that are generally pretty wealthy. Right. Yep. And they're trying to mitigate their taxable income. Right. Or whatever it might be. But yeah, there's there's some people that have just kind of been saying, look, I'm fed up with this. I yeah. don't I don't like it. There's a better quality of life life elsewhere. I mean, I think of course Austin, Texas, that's an obvious one. Right. But people one of, like Joe Rogan moved there and yeah. uh, what was it, uh Elon Musk, I think too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he I think he moved Tesla over there. But you know, Abe, Abe Woody. Yeah. Um He's generally from that that general area, and he just said it's incredible that wow. you can get a gorgeous home, and that you know there's a, a diverse economy, and you're there's just a lot of opportunities out there that you know there's good spirits, yeah, and you don't have a telephone pole in your front yard on a two and a half million dollar <laughs> house, things like right. that. So interesting. Yeah, I, I've seen it a little bit, but maybe not as much as some of the other agents in town. Yeah, you wonder if what what. Um if it's across the board or if it demographically, or if it's more, you know, middle-class or if it's upper, you know, but you said tax reasons. So I get it. Like, you know, you, you have, you know, you, we're getting taxed so much here, plus the gas prices and yeah, you know. it's, it would be hard. I mean, if I, you know, had that amount of wealth that some of my clients <laughs> do, it, that would be a real Significant. problem. It pay for the house that you would move to for sure. Much. And you know, almost would affect uh, another generation right now. They may have two or three generations covered, but after taxes, only one. So they want to leave town. Yeah. So COVID uh, was scary for, you know, especially for our business. Yeah. We halted for God, like, I mean, we, we never really shut down the company, but we halted the, the lending of what we were doing for, for months, like three months. It was, it was really crazy. What what happened for you, like in the real estate side? Yeah, during that like twenty twenty March through yeah. like June time was that? I remember specifically writing an email to my agents saying, 
you know, buckle up. Yeah. This is going to get bad. Yeah. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> I, you know, Nobody exploded. knew. Nobody yeah. knew. Well, no one knew. And, you know, actually, I want to give you a pat on the back during that time, too. I was speaking with Chad, your partner, and I heard, you know, you guys have just done incredible things since then. You Thank really you. seized the day. Um, and we try to do the same. And, yeah, we, we were blessed. And a lot of that, you know, return business came back. I think something that really made me feel good during that time was the people that just didn't know what to do were yeah. actually calling for advice. Yeah. Which is really nice, right? Instead of just looking at me as somebody to peddle houses. Yeah. Um, they they trusted it. So um, I think I even called you on that during that time, like, what are you seeing in the yeah. in the market? Like, is there a lot of listings? One of the things that I first thing that came to my mind was I think it was probably April or something, or maybe May, and I was like, compared to last year, how many homes are on the market? Because that yeah. really was a tell sign for me was like, if there's double the homes on the market, then we're in trouble. If there's yes. less, then we're fine. Because, yes. you know, if people are panicking and they want to sell their houses, I think before, like with the crash, there was obviously a problem with people's equity. They didn't have yeah. anyone that bought in 04, 05, 06 had very little equity because they put, you know, a lot of them put zero down or 10% or 5% down. Um, whereas, you know, at this time in, in 2020, a lot of people had a ton of equity. I heard like 40% average. Yeah. yeah. So huge staying So people power. could have sold and just listed their house. And I thought, you know, if it flooded, right, if there was like way too many listings and not enough buyers, boom, it could have shifted our whole, and then it could have like, a, like fell like a rock. But yeah, it, it, looking back at that year, I remember thinking it was probably going to be a tough year on the books. Yeah. And it most certainly was not. Um, and then I kept thinking that might stop and halt in, in uh, this year. But I've, I've observed that the agents in San Diego, I've heard there's like 33,000 of us. Wow. Yeah, which is lot. nuts. Um, but the ones have really succeeded. We were talking about a few names earlier who have, they've pivoted, they've adapted, mm -hmm. and you know they've embraced the change right. and done their best to help figure it out. And some of the strategies that have come out of it, and a sales strategy we'll call it, have been really fun to watch. And now yeah. you've got some of this, you know, fintech stuff that's coming in. We now have platforms to help a contingent buyer, you know, mm -hmm. sell a house and make it not contingent so they can buy another one. Right. There's a lot that's changed and adapted and come from that. That's cool. Pause for a second. Um, I heard one of the cameras turn off. Yeah, it was this one. Okay. This one, you can't even see the doorway. Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway. Dude, you're doing great. I, um, let's see what else questions I have here. Um, all right. Yeah, so we kind of talked about predictions, but, um, I'll ask just like, if you have any predictions in 22. Okay. So, um, 2022, God, I can't believe it's literally 30 days away as of today. Um, or not even 30 days. I think it's 29, but, um, yeah. Where did these two years go? Flew by. It's, it's very true. It, it feels like six months ago. And I'll tell you yeah. on the way here, by the way, I heard a song that yeah. I really like, you know, the group Arizona. Yeah. That, that song came out like right when I, right when COVID started uh -huh. and to this day, I hear it and it just warms my heart <laughs> because of how much life slowed down for about a month. Yeah. Right. You got to hang out with the kids a little more yeah. And, yeah. and be present, right? you know, and, and put the anxiety away. Um, but yeah, where's it, it's going to go, boy. Like, I, what I are your predictions? You think, I mean, you know, we all have our own crystal balls that we guess, but do you, do you see the demand still there for, for 2022? I see a big demand, yeah. honestly, for non-QM loans. Yeah. I feel like there is such an inadequacy in that niche yeah. 
not only do my clients need it, I need it, yeah. right? As a small business owner, I'm right. shocked how many solutions are not available. It right. seems to be, you know, from either the Fannie Freddie product all the way to private money. You go right. from 3% to 12%. It's like there's got to be something in there. Right. Um, we're writing an offer today for a client on a $5 million plus dollar home. And, you know, you look at his financials from a, a conventional standpoint, it doesn't make any sense. All right. the K-1s, et cetera. But boy, you put it in front of someone like you mm -hmm. and, and it makes perfect sense. So I think there's going to be a change in that space. Rather, I hope there will be a change in that space. You mean like more lenders will start offering non-QM or you think um, conventional lenders will loosen? Like, what do you mean? Like, Yes and yes. Yeah. I, I hope maybe they will consider lending on other collateral. Yeah. Right. Like, like mixed uh, use or some. Yeah. Yeah. Any other assets and... they have uh, just seems like there's a, a, a big need there. Yeah. Um, Are I'm you talking also... about cross collateral? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, that that is a, that's something that not very many people do. Yeah. Cross collateral loans, because I think there's a need there. Right. If someone's going to list their house and then maybe like a bridge need or mm -hmm. if they have a ton of equity some in one of their properties and then they want to access it, but they don't want to. Like they don't want to touch their two and a half percent rate that they locked in. Yes. And they need to get some of that access to equity. I'm dealing with it on my own really yeah. right now. Like I need a bigger home for my family Yeah, you and the agree. challenges yeah. in front of me. And I have great banking relationships and I have friends like you. Yeah. Yet it's still incredibly challenging to do. Yeah. And it just seems like there's a need there. And I'm hoping all of this kind of adjustment in some of the the offers, I, I think of like Homelight. Yeah. Are you familiar with those yep. guys? They're actually wonderful, and I'm I'm lucky to be a partner of theirs here. But things are happening quickly. Talk about Homelight because I don't know if a lot of people know about them. Is it is it the concept where they buy your property cash or something like that, and then? Yeah, um, if I had to simplify it, they came around three years ago. We'll call it, give or take, maybe four. Yeah. But it's often we get calls like, "Hey, do you want leads?" Yeah. Right? They're five hundred bucks each or whatever, and I would always tell them, "Hey." If, if you want me to buy these leads, like why wouldn't you just ask for a referral fee? Right. It's a million dollar home. A referral fee is going to pay them a lot of money. A lot more, yeah. And I would just say, look, that shows me you're invested in the results. Quality lead. Quality yeah. leads. And so Homelight, sure enough, came out and did just that. So it kind of perks my interest. Um, and then they have really started taking market share. They partner with agents that are, I, I don't know what the number would, we'll call it the top 10%, 3,300 of us instead of 33,000. Yeah. And they send us leads, right? Nice. And they have a great platform and, and we kick those referral fees over with a smile. But then as things have started to develop, they now have a program that allows my buyers and sellers, like I have this gentleman in San Marcos who wants to buy a three and a half million dollar home in Del Mar. And he must sell two homes in San Marcos to get there. Okay. So they have uh, valued the home. He told me that he would take a million four. I thought I could sell for maybe a million four five. Homelight did their homework. They said, we'll give you a million four two five, now allowing you to buy your home on the back end. Mm -hmm. So does they, that take away those listings from you though? No, great question. Rather, what it what it'll do is they Homelight gives them eighty five percent of that money, mm -hmm. buy their new home, and then they list the home with me or whichever agent brought it, um, and then the 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 seller collects the delta less it's one and a half percent fee. Got it. So, so Homelight makes a percentage of the, the what you said, the one and a half? One and a half. Got it. And then yeah. you still make your portion of it? or Yeah. And then ideally, if I sell it for a million four two five or a million four five, uh, my client actually collects more. 
Right. So, you know, in the most simplistic sense, in my opinion, in this competitive climate, it's worth paying a point and a half yeah. to get that advantage. But um, there's a few of us per home light. There's 15 of us in San Diego that have access to that. I'm in the midst of that one I just referenced and I have not closed another one yet. So I don't, I don't quite know if it's going to pan out, but yeah. it's, it's been a neat experience. Uh, they're, they're confident they're curious and they're well-resourced and they try to fly under the radar too. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, Zillow doesn't. No. <laughs> Zillow. Talk about Zillow. Cause I know oh, they man. just changed their zest, right? Do they do away with the Zestimate or what's yeah. all that about? You know, I, I, can I tell a quick story? Yeah, dude. Our dude, mutual tell. friend, Ryan. Okay. Um, at a point Loma. Zillow, okay, so we used to manipulate the market, mm-hmm. the Zillow platform back in the day. When we had a listing come up, we would post it on Zillow early, uh, kind of feed the market. Try to you're, you're trying to get the unrepresented buyers is all. Right. And so I made a post on Zillow, and somehow the, the listing duplicated, and one of them said it has a basement, 800-square-foot hmm. basement. So this home sells then for about a thousand bucks a foot to said buyer. A month later, he comes back and says, I looked at the listing on Zillow. This, you said it has a basement. It doesn't. I want $800,000. What? So common sense, you know, I said, look, you visited the home. You did inspections. You knew full yeah. well there was no. You got an appraisal on the place. Like all so, the things, yeah. Yeah, he was coming after his own agent and me. And so, of course, we had to hire the attorneys to defend it. But it was all because of Zillow. And when I called Zillow to try to, you know, figure out where the disconnect was, they loosely told me that, look, we're an entertainment site. We're not a data site. We're an entertainment site? What? So that was my first revelation that, you know, might be a liability there. So I got away from it. But nonetheless, I know they have made a tremendous uh, positive influence on a lot of other agents' books of business. But at that point is when I decided to walk away. I noticed the Zestimates changed when they started buying houses. Mm. They went way down. Oh, yeah, because they wanted to t- buy the market, right? Yeah. And are they selling now? Is there something like they're, I heard they're selling a bunch of homes? or? Yeah, I so I, I don't know is the short answer. Yeah. I, I do know that they turned into a brokerage mm-hmm. uh, about a year ago. Yeah. And so a lot of agents kind of shied away from it a little bit. Um, but they're still, you know, dominating in the market. Yeah. And like it or not, they're there. But yeah, now that they've turned off their iBuyer program and admitted kind of defeat that they had, you know, bought these homes for way more than they were worth, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know where they're going to pivot to next. And I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're they're definitely a force to be reckoned with for sure. So technology in general in this space is trying to disrupt, right? Like mm-hmm. they like any any industry. Do you see any technologies coming out that are disruptive to real estate? That's another really great question. I just attended a. Uh, conference in Vegas about a month ago, and this is what it was all about. Yeah. And on paper, there's some wonderful ideas, wonderful platforms. It seems that, you know, it would be a no brainer, but the one piece that keeps halting it or rather proves it wrong is relationships. Yep. So, and it's emotional. It's not just a, you're buying a, even cars are emotional, but like, let's just say buying groceries right now we do that technology instacart right or food is not really emotional it's a little emotional but you just it's easy and it's not like it's not a major decision like homes is like a that's one of the biggest decisions anyone makes in their life so keep keep chatting i I just wanted to interject that but yeah especially when somebody doesn't know an area or a neighborhood or a city they need a consultant an advisor and schools and like yeah what's everything yeah that's so important nowadays yeah 
And so I, for, for that single reason, the value of relationships and the trust, I don't see one of those platforms like dominating in the next 10 years. I do expect some serious pushback continued on commissions though. Yeah. Um, because they're because they're trying to um, art and they don't we're not discount agency but we you know they they try to sell you that they're not but no one can get you get what you pay for in this life right that's right and if you're getting a one percent commission you're not going to have someone trying to sell it as as someone that gets a two and a half or whatever you're just not that's yeah. the fact I mean technically it's illegal if they were to not or it's unethical if if they were to you know steer someone away from a property with a lower commission but I'm seeing it happen and yeah. I'm. I always respect a broker and agent that's open to that conversation yep. in a constructive, collaborative manner um, because it's real. I, I read a funny subreddit last night about tipping at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. A guy said, look, I had a $300 bill, but I tipped a $20. And you would think all of you know the people were against him and he was rude and an idiot. And his logic was, hey, whether I'm at this nice restaurant or another, that person did the same amount of work. Therefore, he should be grateful for twenty bucks. Right, and it's no brainer that applies. <laughs> and they to our weren't. <laughs> they weren't grateful. No, they weren't at all. And so, you know, we're constantly striving to prove that value. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I have always, uh, it's an uncomfortable conversation. I have to have them probably once a month, where a friend, a client, will say, "Look, I just, if I'm not going to hire you, then I'll hire someone else. I'm going to pay the flat fee, and I know that I, I'm going to get them more money. Yeah. But I can't." quantify and prove that yeah right until the transaction is done yeah so i see some changes coming up on that front uh transparency has has been more how. like flat fee commissions versus like percentages or yeah and you know how i've adapted to it as the broker of record i've come up with a scalable commission structure hmm. you know i generally start it by saying john what do you think your house is worth what do you want and then i'll base it on that you know if yeah. it sells for this amount i get less or this much more um, I've heard of other agents doing a, a spread. In other words, you say, Jeff, I'll take 2 million bucks for my home. And they'll say, all right, well, I think I can get two, two. So we'll split the difference. And <laughs> client says, fine, do yeah. it. It's, it's a risk, right? Yeah. And no big corporate broker of record would allow that. But we're just trying to get a little bit more creative. And I'm always very sensitive to that. I've always yeah. tried to you know, not be motivated by the money. On the other hand, you know, it's a common sense. That's why we do what we do. That's why I left the PGA tour. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's again, transparency, ethics, communication is how we're addressing those issues. And I tend to fault on the more generous side. If yeah. uh, it's every, it's too sticky. Well, you, you look at long-term, right? You, you short-sighted people want the money, all of it now, and they don't care about, you know, um, long-term relationships. They don't care about re repeat business. So uh, if you, you know, you have that mindset of I'm going to do long-term business and make clients for life, then you don't care if you, you only make a little bit on this deal and you know you're going to make more on the next or you make ne repeat business always is the best method of, you know, growing your business. Well, and a lot of these people, they, they do trust us. Yeah. Right. And I'm amazed how many agents aren't cognizant of the idea that if you try to bust me up on commission and I roll over yeah. to get the listing you just I really just showed you what a bad negotiator I am yeah and now yeah what you're gonna let me list your house <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. whereas yeah. they think no I will I'll take the one percent of a two million dollar home all day yeah that's so true. usually get what you pay for and the scalable structure allows that right well you just mentioned PGA tour tell us like so how how what's it like what's the similarities like 
of PGA, you were managing it, right? You were like operations manager or something. Yeah. And you, you dealt with a lot of people, some professionals, some probably childish, you know, all the different personalities that come along with people that have a lot of money and how did that help you or hurt? You know, what, what was the, the, the transition like going into real estate from that? Yeah, it, it was fascinating. And a uh, kind of look at the PJ Tour as a franchise yeah. in that whether the tournament is in Hawaii or Kansas or Florida, it's just the same general idea. You, you get volunteers to do the logistics. You know, you pick a good golf course. You run the show for five days. Um, and then it generates a lot of money for the local economy, primarily through pro-am sales or, you know, advertising or hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to see that was, was interesting. Now, what I, one of the biggest reasons I love golf to this day is that there's no contracts. These, these players, you know, old, young, male, female, they have to play well to keep their card. The top 125 players get to keep their cards. So it's not uncommon to meet a guy who made a million and a half dollars last year, and this year he's totally unemployed, hmm. um, or vice versa. But um, to kind of further answer your question, one of the more interesting pieces of these golf tournaments, I would show up and have to run the on-site event or the management component. So I would meet these volunteers. Mm-hmm. Now you think about the average person that can leave Wednesday, Thursday, Friday from their job yeah. to spend their time. They're usually either you know old and retired, right, or financially independent. Yeah. And so what I learned from these people was was fascinating. It really perked my interest, and there was definitely a moment that I realized, being around all that I was, um, that this is super cool. It's great to show people these photos and tell these stories, but I'm still going back to my cheap hotel. Yeah. It's still <laughs> looking at my bank account that right. didn't have much in it. And so, yeah, that the the spirit of watching these players defend themselves and to to work hard to get back there and to see these volunteers that had worked hard to be able to do what they do, which is walking around and helping these players because they're successful, yeah. really stirred me up. And so when I left that position, I remember thinking very consciously, like I could give a a, a crap about the attention. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be uh, you know known for anything special because I kind of felt like I'd had that mm-hmm. and it didn't cash any checks for me. Right. Um, it was really fun to talk about with a lot of people. They loved hearing Tiger Woods stories or whatever. Um, so when I went into this, it was like, I, I really want to help people. I want to be financially independent and I want to be in control. Um, I also didn't like the corporate structure of it all. Yeah. So I'm much more comfortable where we were, but it's, or where I am now, but it, it was an awesome job. And to this day, here we are, <laughs> you know, 15 years later, still talking about it. Yeah. It's awesome. Have you had any of those pros call you to, to buy them a house in San Diego? <laughs> Unfortunately not, but I have reached out. Yeah. Um, actually, that's not true. I have helped two of them. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's kind of flavor over the month stuff. We yeah. hear about all the big names, but most guys don't stick around for three to four years. Right. And even then, they're making a couple million a year. I mean, that's a good living. Right. Make enough money and kind of move on to selling real estate or yeah. insurance. Getting into some other business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's a little more sustainable yeah. and, and less uh, pr- unpredictable, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, so uh, our listeners and, and viewers are mortgage brokers primarily and, you know, industry, mortgage industry people. Um, obviously, the go-to referral source is a real estate agent, right? That's like when, when you get in the mortgage business, you're like, oh, I need realtors. That's like your number one thing, right? I need to have five realtors. They all got to give me their, you know, their, their buyers and, 
and so I can prequal them and they come and kiss your ass. They do all the stuff to try to get you to work with them, right? Um, what have you experienced in that side um, from mortgage brokers? Like what's turned you off? What's been, you know, things that they've done right to like to make a good partner, sure. um, you know, for mortgages? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And I would say we deal with the exact same challenges, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. we very loosely, I'll even lump escrow and title reps into it. We all provide a service that other people can can do the same. And yeah. so what makes it different? Um, so flipping the script, when I go to financial advisors or mortgage professionals and, and try to get their business, I literally try to walk and talk and dress like them. Mm -hmm. I figured that's kind of a subconscious comfort zone. Yeah. Um, I'm very hyper attentive to the reputation that they have mm -hmm. and doing all that I can to fall in line with whatever they, the experience they want for their clients. Um, but now flipping it back to me, you know, there are some wonderful professional mortgage people out there, but much like real estate, a lot of them don't do a lot of business and they yeah. don't quite know how to communicate in an effective manner. They're not able to pivot and adapt to personality types, for example. Um, the ones that I have been lucky enough to work with, they're usually very professional. Yep. They're problem solvers. Mm -hmm. They're takers, or I'm sorry, they're makers and not takers. Yep. Um, they admit when they don't know or they yeah. admit when they've messed up. It's, it's literally just the foundation, the fundamental things that I think we've all learned from our parents at some point. Um, but they're, they're people that I always like to work with people that are obviously smarter than me, no more than me. And that bring a flavor to the table and they're mm -hmm. not just kind of paper pushers. Right, right, right. right. Like so many of us are. Um, so I, yeah, when, when you meet a, a, a good quality mortgage professional, it's, it's gold. Now the yeah. challenge is that a lot of clients come with their financing already in place. True. Or their friend of a friend is a mortgage advisor. So I'll usually try to say, look, I, I'm not trying to steer you away from them, but why don't you, you know, consider. At least talk to so-and-so yeah. or, yeah. Yeah, because there's nothing worse than getting at the last minute. <laughs> Earnest money is mm -hmm. gone, mm -hmm. you know, it's been released and now it doesn't work. And even though it's not my fault necessarily, I definitely still look like the a-hole. So. Right. You, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to refer them to the wrong person. And then have you had any mortgage brokers do something just totally stupid where you're just like they came up to you, brought you donuts and just shit the bed, you know, like just didn't do. <laughs> yeah, I, I had this one um, who came in with the sexiest pitch I've ever heard. And I mean, he said everything I wanted to hear. And admittedly, I was probably vulnerable to it because I needed that so bad. Mm -hmm. But I then put one of my highest valued clients in front of him to wow. test it out. Yeah. And I got permission from that client. I told him exactly what I was doing is like, let's see if this guy's really all about it. So we literally get down to the last hour, all contingencies removed and he can't perform. Jeez. One day before closing. Wow. Yeah. I was livid. Um, and so sure enough, my client called his personal banker and they funded within one day. Holy crap. Wow. <laughs> so, he, he, you know, he was like, he was like testing, like, he was testing cute. this person out yeah. and see if you could do that. And then you know, if yeah. I had to fund it, I can do it here. But yeah. the other thing that really kills me, John, is when they don't pick up their phone. Mm. Oh my goodness, you That's know. That's a huge no-no. Yep, I'm getting lit up by my client or by escrow and I can't even get a hold of them. Um, and you know what I also love is when the mortgage advisor makes me think, my client think, that we're the only deal. That they yeah, have. that's 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 a talent. 
Yeah, it is. Like, yeah. don't I don't need you to tell me why you were late because you're working on another file. Like, I don't. I'd rather you not tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Keep that to yourself. <laughs> yeah. And then gifts. I mean, that's how I set myself apart. Is when someone sends me a lead, I'm always trying to be pretty generous with gifts. Yeah. Please hear me. I'm not asking for that. No, but, but like appreciation, right? That's it. A and and it's an old school thing. Is like, you know, we would give out like a champagne bottle at a closing, but like, what? I mean, when? How often? You brought a gift today, which is. I don't know if that's ever happened. Maybe one time with all my podcast mm. guests, but like that's an old school thing, right? Like it's it's what you know your parents teach you. You hope yeah. when you like, when you go to someone's house for dinner, you bring something, right? You bring yeah. a a bottle of wine, or you bring you know a whatever, yeah. or you ask if I can bring something. But I think so many people have forgotten that little touch. Yeah, that's, I it's, totally it stands agree. out, right? Like it does. And I've um, I've actually invested in that pretty heavily. Our latest effort is bikes. I bought 15 electric bikes. Really? Yeah. And it sounds maybe excessive, but if, you know, just do the quick math and some of the support these people have given me, it's well worth it. Yeah. And it's memorable and it's fun. Well, every Um, time they're sitting on it, they're like, oh, Jeff, you know, Jeff gave me this. Yeah, totally. And they're like bright red and I got a logo on them. (laughs) (laughs) They're super fun. That's cool. Uh, But I've always tried to be that way, John. And, you know, it's whether it's a hospitality suite at the Farmer's Insurance Open or the awesome front row tickets that I'm lucky enough to share with Chad. Yeah. Uh, anything else I can think of. If I know somebody has uh, a specific cause, like we offered to buy a client a table at a charity event of something that was very important to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't cheap, but we do it, you know, to, to say thank you yeah. and uh, to show some gratitude. So, um, and I'm also amazed. I also, I, I initially thought like if you helped me make 10 grand, that I would give you a thousand or twenty five hundred of it, sure. Just in general, but a lot of people they don't necessarily want the money, right? Either they're worried about the ethical component of it, mm-hmm. um, but just to give them something unique, especially yeah. people that can afford Thoughtful. to buy whatever they want. Yeah, yeah. like a, a stay at the hotel Dell, mm-hmm. um, a set of Titleist golf clubs, right? You know these little things. So anyway, uh, I've had a lot of fun doing that and, and showing gratitude. But I think that's how in this hyper competitive space again mortgage real estate agent, title escrow, that's how we can stand apart. Authenticity, yeah. right. recognizing, you know, what other people have done for us. That's cool. So um, I, I'm a huge believer in that too, gratitude. And then just, you know, being generous because it, it's something that just, I don't know what it is about life, right? Like if you hold on to everything and you don't give and you don't, you know, uh, share, like it just, eat you up inside or just some some people are built that way, right? They just, they're, they're very stingy or whatever it is about them. They're just personality. But I think there's something about the gratitude and the gifting and and just, and giving. Do do you think that also helps with your success as like, you know, there's a lot of books you could read about that, but you know, as far as a giving and, you know, like like even the Bible, right? Give you, 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 uh, I forget the scripture. I should know it. (laughs) So do I, but I totally But like, you know what I'm saying? saying. Like if you give it, you know, it'll, it'll come back to you or whatever. And and not that you do it for that reason, but it just somehow works that way. Yeah. And I'm kind of at the chapter now where all of what you said is true. And it's like, am I now giving things away because I want (laughs) the benefits, right? It's a slippery slope, right? The biblical component was great. Growing up, it was always, uh, an obligation. You must yeah, have. Yeah, you got to give 10%. Right. Yeah. And then you get older and you realize it's actually just an easier way to live. I think it was Louis C.K., mm-hmm. the comedian, who generally said it, said it's not my money, it's the money. Yeah. I just happen to have some and it goes away. 
And so that mindset has really helped me. Right. Um, and in, in has been just so blatantly obvious in my life yeah. and things that I, I really don't even like to talk about because I don't want to take away from that um, like experience and, and the, the faith yeah. that I, you know, I don't want to do it for the attention per se, but that mind shift is big yeah. and it's powerful. And I think it's critical for someone to really kind of go from one level to the next. It's not like, oh, how can I save more and make more? It's how can I add value? Yeah. And you always were a big um, believer in life coaches or business coaches, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, I, I think that's something that everyone can look at, right? It's like mm -hmm. you you want to improve your business. Like, t tell us about that. Has that changed your, your business, having a, like, yeah. a business coach or life coach? Oh, that's a great question. I just hired a new one, the most expensive one I ever have <laughs> yeah. um, because I believe in it so much. Yeah. And it's always, I'm sure everyone, would, well, most people would say this, it's nothing profound that, yeah. they, that they share. It's rather a little creative or it's the accountability they're bringing. Or it might be that one nugget that you got you know, from, from a month of investing with them. Uh, the other one I actually really advocate for is counseling. Yeah, same here. Counselors are a huge luxury in life. And some of the things that I've learned about myself, kind of being vulnerable and exploring, um, ha have been life-changing. Yeah. Uh, you know, Otherwise, you bottle it all up. You do. And you because don't there's things you can't tell even your best friend. I mean, not you know, right. darkness, but like thoughts or you know, feelings that you just can't really share with everybody, right? You, and you don't want you know, we all have stuff that we sort of keep to ourselves, but it's bot it gets bottled up. It causes stress. It causes other things that are not good in our life. And like you said, I mean, I found the same thing, therapist, counselor, whatever, when you can just share and talk about issues, it just somehow, it's almost like that giving thing. It's like you're, you're, you're letting it out. So then you can be refilled with something else, right? It's like, you're, and you've always been really good at that. I'll call it, um, authenticity, mm -hmm. vulnerability. It takes mm -hmm. a lot of confidence to be that way. And I'm kind of at the point in my life where if someone isn't that way towards me, I, I just don't really want to be around them. Yeah. Right. Because we all have problems and you have solutions that I don't. And it's just been a more um, I keep using the word rich in experience. It's a rich way to live. And mm -hmm. so I encourage that of, of agents that join our company as well is you have to have a degree of faith, of vulnerability, because we're all salesmen. It comes right. across super disingenuous at times mm -hmm. and that will kill your business. Right, right. So um, I'm always trying to be that way. The older I get, the more I lean on others in the counseling, the coaching. <laughs> well, we coaching just learn awesome. that life, you know, it's short. Life is not perfect and it's hard. There's challenges and... We're yeah, middle-aged. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to think, hey, when I get there, yeah. right? Now you're like, uh-oh. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> you you have a couple grays. I don't really see... Oh, whatever. I don't I see many, but um, I'm, I'm a little further along with the grays than you are. But um, I mean... You know, we've talked about a lot of stuff on this podcast. I, I think, um, you know, what would you have any, you know, one, one of the things I love to share is, is ways that someone can reach someone like you, right? Mm. Like, like a, you appreciate the non-QM, you appreciate the out of the box thinking, the genuine, you know, person that's not just trying to get a one deal from you or, you know, maybe someone who can reciprocate business to you, um, what, you know, is there an advice or a tip you can tell a mortgage broker right now that might change their business? Like, is there something you could... Boy, that's a lot of pressure, and I, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. I like it, right? Because we're all, again, in this hyper-competitive, saturated space. Yeah. And um, 
There's nothing better than having relationships. Yeah. And right? just being genuine. With just you. being genuine. People want to work with people they like. Yeah. And if you're just, time. if you're just coming to someone to get something, I think that's always when people put up a shield, right? Well said. Like, like on a, like on a uh, call, like a, what do you call them? Telemarketer call, right? Oh, yeah. The first thing you're like, I'm busy, you know, but if they, you know, there's ways that people can bring down your shield, right? Like, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, the event hosting is always good. Um, but, you know, let's be honest, at a certain point in a career, you hit a point where you don't have to do that anymore. Right. And so then what sets it apart? And so for me, it's like a charity effort. I meet mm-hmm. someone who's like-minded. Right. Or maybe it's through your EO group. You know, right. you meet someone you really like and they're talented and they're good at what they do. You become friends. Yeah. And, and then, then it sort of naturally occurs out of that, right? And what's interesting then to take that a step further is you find you don't end up going to anyone else. Yeah. Like, of course, I could shop it around, but I don't want to because yeah. I like that guy. Right. Or that person. And you know they're going to be honest with you. They're yeah. not there to just burn bridges or, you know, to say that they can do something they can't. Because then, and, you know, where your point was they, they went all the way to the finish line. And then one day before closing, they, were, they couldn't do it. That's and you'll it. never use that person again. Even close to it. Um, the other piece is, you know, doing coaching. What I found, I won't say any coaches' names, but they tell the same agents the same things. Mm-hmm. And so you'll end up seeing everyone doing that same thing. What used to be unique. Like yeah. I remember the first time I rented out a pumpkin patch. It was <laughs> like, whoa, he did that for his clients. And, you know, and I looked around and realized everyone was doing it. Yeah. You know, so then we bought a drone and kind of kind of did some things with that for promotions. But as a mortgage professional, you want to, you know, maybe you're new in the business or you just you used to be good in another city and you don't know anyone here. Is like find that organic connection. Yeah. Um, and it might be stopping by the office. It might be that super awkward thing. Um, but boy, if there's that mutual connection, you know, like there's a there's a website been verified that I will type in. Like I could look you up right now and sure. find out where you went to school, possibly, you know, charities you support. And maybe that's the connection. Mm. But if you dig mm-hmm. deep enough, I think you can typically figure that out. That's cool. Um, well, you know, we've, where can someone find you online? Yeah, um, sandandcinvestments.com. Because yep. I was so tired of spelling that out. I also have key2sd.com. Okay. So K-E-Y-T-O-S-D.com. And I would love to hear from anyone. There is no price point that's too high or too low. Yeah. Good quality people that need help are the ones that I like to help most. That's cool. And anything you're uh, listening to or um, you know, using to learn more and to enrich yourself, like maybe anything you can share. Yeah, like don't laugh or... at this answer though, okay? Because yeah. I don't like reading very much. <laughs> Subreddits. Okay. You get on Reddit and type in, you know, Realtors or uh, real estate, and you'll see some really intriguing ideas hmm. that are posted anonymously. It's one of the reasons I love that site. It's not self-promotion. Mm-hmm. That's where I've gotten a lot of good ideas from. I had a digital listing presentation, for example, way before COVID started. Well, not way before, but before no one else was doing it. They were still doing these hardbound covers. Yep. Um, so I would get little ideas from that. But um, that's it with the coaching and you know good friends like you that have been tremendously successful. Um, I tend to kind of get those needs met. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, man. It's You're been welcome. Great. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Cool.